Hello, and welcome to the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogan with the Houston Chronicle, joined by a special guest today, a famous Houston sports figure that a lot of people might not know, but he is a quite the interesting guy, and I'm, I've been looking forward to this chat for a while. Joined today by Terry Roskowski, played for the original Houston Arrows of the World Hockey Association. Then he came back to Houston and coached the Arrows of the International League when they launched in the uh, mid-90s. This, this guy has been a witness to a lot of hockey history, been teammates with a lot of famous guys. I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Terry, how are you today? It's been a long time. We've known each other nearly 20 years, but I haven't talked to you in quite a while, so it's it's great to catch up. Raji, it's, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I, I really am excited to see you in, in, right now and to talk with you again. It, it's been a while. It's been a pleasure. Every time I talk to you, we always have a good time. Even though you wrote bad things about me sometimes, <laughs> you're, still, you're still my friend. All I did was cover your team's win. That's all I did against <laughs> the team I covered, you know? I mean, I don't know how that was bad, but... All right. Um, before we delve into the past, I just wanted to catch up with you. What are you doing these days? Where are you? Uh, how's life with Terry Wiskowski? Yeah, good. Yeah, I live in McKinney, Texas, just about 40 miles north of Dallas, downtown Dallas. Um, pretty much retired, Roger. I, I coached last year. They did. They asked me to coach this junior A, double A team, 18-year-olds. They had nobody to coach them. And they got me going in that. And I'm going, okay, they were supposed to be practice one time a week, play one or two times the weekend, and you're kind of done. I go, piece of cake. Well, I practiced Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. We played Friday, Saturday, and then we have um, Monday or Sunday. We had another practice. I'm going, holy smokes. But we did well. We we weren't expected to do well, and we won state champion. And we went to Nash, uh, Nationals in Milwaukee. Um, no, Green Bay. Excuse me, Green Bay. Um, we won two games and lost two games. The last game we lost was in overtime that put us in the semifinals, but good bunch of kids. And the parents were really good too. Usually when you have young kids like that, the parents are yang, 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 all over you. Uh, they were really good. And, uh, I actually had a lot of fun, but, uh, one and done. I'm one and done. Well, you, I mean, you, you have quite the coaching resume. We'll get into that later. Um, wanted to set the stage 1974, you're a 19 year old. You were drafted in the second round by the Arrows, who were in their third season in the WHA, then the World Hockey Association, which is a competitive league to the NHL, which was was launched in 1972. This year is actually the 50th anniversary of the WHA's founding. You were also drafted in the fourth round by the Blackhawks of the NHL. You, you had played um, junior hockey in Saskatchewan. You're from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, played in Swift Current, one of the more famous junior franchises in Canada. Why'd you pick Houston over an original six franchise like Chicago? Uh, it was an easy pick, Raji. Um, they had that secret draft at Christmas time, the WHA, and I didn't know that I got drafted second overall or second round overall. Um, I was waiting for the NHL draft. I was really keen. Raji, my last year in junior, I had 40 goals, 93 assists, 225 minutes in penalties. And I'm going, car, they got to recognize me. That, that Those are numbers are pretty good numbers. And they went in the, in bottom third of the fourth round. And I remember Chicago calling me, goes, Billy Ray goes, our small guys have got to stick together. Our small guys got to stick together. I said, oh, that sounds good, Mr. Ray. Thank you very much for your phone call. Well, they told me that I should be going down to Dallas for a tryout. And Houston says, I'll give you a two or a three year, two or three year, uh, no cut, no trade contract. Three years, no cut, no trade contract. Even though it wasn't for much money, I mean, I thought that that would be the best scenario for me. And it ended up to be the best scenario for me. 
you know, you mentioned your your points in your last year of junior, 133. The second leading scorer on that team was Brian Trottier, who went on to become a Hockey Hall of Famer. So it's not like you were playing with schmoes on, on that Swift current team. Brian Trottier is a superstar and a superstar person, guy besides a player. Uh, we still keep in contact, him and I. He's just a classy young man. I don't think I've ever played against a guy that was so strong in his skates like Brian. He was just, you know, in practice and even when I played against him with the Islanders, he was just, I couldn't knock him off his skates. He was very strong uh, and a heck of a competitor and just a great guy. But yeah, he was pretty good. I played with a guy named Tiger Williams too. Dave Tiger Williams, yeah, ferocious uh, competitor. He was supposed to be a defenseman. And he got beat so bad. I went to the coach and I said, "This can't. This got to stop. Like we're not going to win any games because they're going around them like poop through a goose." And I got to go. We got to stop this. So he said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "Put him left side with me." So he put him left side with me, and I played with him and a guy named Ron Delorme, and then then uh, Don Laraway, which ended up be one of my teammates in Houston for four years. Um, and he ended up scoring like fifty goals, fifty four goals that year. But everybody he, he intimidated everybody so much that. He stand in the slot, and I just give him the puck, and he shoot on net. He should have had eighty goals, but he ended up with fifty. <laughs> so, what are your memories of coming to play in Houston as a nineteen-year-old? And what was the city like then, especially to someone from the prairies of Saskatchewan? Raji, I was so scared. Like I was reading up Houston, what you know, crimes and all this. Now I, I was so freaking scared. But the only good thing about it is, guy, remember I was told you, Don Laraway, We played together in Houston, and we both are uh, in Swift Current. We both went down to Houston together. So at least I had somebody that, that I knew that we could, you know, togetherness and not be so scared about it. I, I was kind of frightened. I, I kind of frightened. I was frightened. And Bill Denier, our coach, came in and he said, listen, he said, you're going to be four. You three, Rich Preston and myself and Don Laraway, you guys are going to be fourth line. You're going to get maybe one, maybe two, maybe possibly three shifts a period. That's it. But I want you to learn, look and learn because you are our future. You are going to be our future. So I want you, I want the same scenario happening from now till you guys retire down four or five years down the road or longer, whatever. And so there's no pressure on us and being a 19 year old and, and playing and having no pressure. Best years of my life, Raji. I'm telling you, those are the best years of my life. They call me disco. They call me the disco King. John McLean, who our um, NFL writer who recently retired, we did a podcast before he retired. Talked a little arrows because his first job here was covering the arrows. He said you were his favorite arrow of all time. Oh, Do you have any John McClain memories you can share with us? I, I don't. I Well, I first came in, I was a rookie, and I, and I didn't get much ice time, so I didn't get to interview very much. But after the years went on, we, I, you know, John and I became closer and closer because I was the captain of the team, and, and the team was doing good, and he'd come in. I'd never BS him. I'd tell him, Are we stuck. You know, we stink. We suck. And he said he wrote it down that way. It was good. But he was always very good to me. I, I, I don't know why, but I love John McClain. I watched him on TV when I was in Houston, you know, doing the sports talk shows. And he made so much sense when he talked. I, I have a lot of admiration for him. I really sincerely do. I think John it was a, it's a classy man. He didn't ask stupid questions. He asked good questions. And, and it was a pleasure to be around him. And then it's unfortunate he retired, but he retired as a champion, I'm telling you right now. Uh, we'll cut out this portion of the podcast so John's ego doesn't get any bigger. It's okay. <laughs> How surprising was the Arrows' popularity in the mid to late 70s? Because you guys often sold out, whether it was the Sam Houston Coliseum or the Summit, and sometimes you outdrew the Rockets. Well, 
Houston never won anything before. They had a long history of not winning anything. And when Gordie Howe came, everybody knew who Gordie Howe was. And all of a sudden, the team started winning. And it was like, come to the, come to the games and watch us win kind of deal. It was, it was incredible. We'd, we, even if we were behind, we'd find a way to win. And it was Gordie. It was just, if we need a goal, he'd score. If you need to make a great play for us to tie or win a game, it was him. We looked, you know, the game was on the line. Everybody looked down the road, down the bench and said, okay, Gordy, time to do your thing. Um, but the old Coliseum was great. It rigged the, the, the dressing room sucked. We had to walk a long way and fast. We're on each side, either booing or cheering. He usually cheering. You know, you spit on the floor and in there and the beer all over the place and his pillars and you couldn't see people. Just this, that's where people let their weekend go, like yelling and screaming and, and having a good time. Um, when he went to the summit, it was just a little bit different. It was more of a, you know, little uh, opera applause kind of deal. Uh, it wasn't the same kind of atmosphere, uh, but it grew to be pretty successful. And um, again, it was it was nice to play in front of uh, the crowd and, and, and to be popular and, and to know that we were successful when a lot of other sports franchises in Houston at that time were not as successful as we were. I'm going to ask you about some of the other notable teammates you had later. But first, what about playing three seasons with Gordie Howe stands out to you? Because he's a Saskatchewan guy. You, you come in as a 19-year-old in a pro hockey. He'd already played for the Red Wings. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer. And so what kind of presence did he have? And what was he, what was it like enter, you know, going into pro hockey with him as your teammate? Well, he was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Houston. To tell you the truth, besides the money factor, he was one of the reasons. And then the first time we met, it was Don and I were, we were on roommate. We were playing an exhibition game in Detroit. And uh, Gordy and Mark and Marty just came back from from Russia. They were having that uh, Russia-U.S. competition, whatever they had. And they opened the door, and there was Gordy, and our coach was there. And it was kind of stunned. He looked at us, and we looked at them and going, at him and going, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. And he said, you guys go on the top floor? And he go, yes, sir. He says, you must be with us. I'm Gordy. I go, yeah, I know. And we went up there and, you know, everything was, everything was cool. Like he was just a classy man. I wanted to be, Rashi, I wanted to be around him all the time. We're in the airport. I'd walk next to him. If we're in someplace else, anything that I can learn or catch it from him, I wanted to because he, he was such a classy guy. Like my, my daughter, my daughter and her husband were in, in L.A., uh, or Las Vegas, and they were signing, you know, the hockey guy, baseball, football, they're all the legends were signing autographs. So they bought a picture of Gordy, and you're standing in line. And uh, he put, uh, my daughter put his the picture down, and and he said, uh, she said to him, he says, you may know my dad, Mr. Howe. And he said, who's that? And he goes, uh, Terry Ruskowski. So he stops, he comes all the way around the table and gives her a big hug. And everybody goes, who is that? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? But that was the type of guy he was. Only one time, only one time in the airport when I was walking with him that he told a guy to go himself. And the guy and the, and the guy just shoved a piece of paper and pencil in his face. He said, sign this. And that's when Gordy said, off. And um, and I guess Gordy, I said, you know why he said, Terry? If anybody asks me nice, I'd be happy to do it anytime. But when you shove something in my face and tell me to do it, it ain't happening. So I said, oh, cool. Okay. I'll remember that next time somebody asked me, but nobody asked me. <laughs> so I was okay with that. But he was just and a golfer. Like, I played golf. He was my partner in golf in different tournaments. Like, 
it, it was amazing. Like I saw him eagle a hole, you know, with a six iron and just nothing to it. He picked up a tennis rack for the first time and beat his sons in, 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 in tennis. Like that was Gordy. He was just a natural at anything he did. And he never really bragged too much about it. But um, he, with kids in the dressing room, he was kind of like mean to him. I remember Kevin Deneen, Kevin Deneen, Bill Deneen's son, he was a small kid when he was in the dressing room. And Gordy grabbed him on both sides of the head by the ears and lifted him up. And of course, Kevin was Kevin. Was Kevin. He turned around and said, leave me alone, you old fart. And he, he ran off. Of course, Gordy just laughed about it. But he's the only guy that went to the one time, he's the only guy that went to an optional practice. He was the only man. I respect him. I love the guy. I thought he would never die. I thought he'd be immortal. I thought he'd never die. You know, was the phrase Gordy Howe hat trick around when he played? Or was that was that something that just came around a lot later? For those who don't know, Gordy Howe hat trick is a goal, an assist, and a fight in the same game. It was around when he was there. They. Uh, it was funny because there was a guy, uh, there was a little altercation, and there was a guy got cut with a stick. And when they were going to penalize and suspend one of our other guys. And he says, I didn't do it. It took him super slow, super slow, super slow motion to find out that it was Gordy Stick coming from nowhere, cutting the guy above the eye or something. The guy was phenomenal. I, one guy, I remember, tried to fight him, and, and Gordy hit him one time or two times, and the guy was on the ice grabbing his ankles. It was like, it was pitiful. Like, he, and Gordy just looked over top and like, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Are there any other memories that really stand out about, about your time playing with the Arrows when you look back for 40 years? now we won our first chance i never won a championship before in our, my very very first year uh we we played pretty well we were playing quebec city but i broke my hand um and they they froze it for every game they put it in there froze it the only bad thing about it is like in, in the last game we played there it was starting to come out with about 10 minutes left to go in the game and it was really painful and I just, I was, I was praying that please don't shoot the puck over boards. Please no icing, no offside. Just keep on playing. Um, but winning the championship was incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, playing with Gordy and Mark and Marty was incredible. And it just, there was nothing bad about it, Raji. There was just, the travel sucked. I'm scared of flying and that, and that sucked. And we had to go commercial all the time. And when you're a rookie, you always had a middle seat. So that sucked. But other than that, the guys were great. These Houston guys were so close, like so close. We were just a family. When 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 we partied, we partied hard. And Bill Deneen, our coach, was the last one to leave. He was just we just got along so well. Like we cared for each other. We're all family. We're all brothers. And, and Bill Deneen such a great job. You know, the guys would get a little bit older and a little bit slower. He'd get rid of them and get a young guy in there. And you know, Morris Lukovich came in. Scott Campbell came in. He made different trades. He just. That guy was a genius just putting the team together and being so close. And I don't know if we were as talented, but we cared about each other and we played as a family. It was, it was tremendous. You know, you stayed with the Arrows until their last season in 77, 78. Uh, John McClain has told me many times, he thought if they had better ownership and they had made it through the, the, the end of the WHA through the 78, 79 season, they would have been one of the teams that would have merged or been absorbed into the NHL. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Without a doubt. And one of the problems we had is because they were trying to buy it, if I'm not mistaken, try to buy a team and bring it to Houston. And it may, was it Edmonton or something? I'm not quite sure. Uh, or was it an NHL team? And they're trying to get Colorado. I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was the late 90s. They're trying to buy Edmonton and bring them 
you know, there you Houston. go. And they and they were having a big stick. You know, they had a big stick outside the the summit and how far we're going up and all that kind of stuff and how close we are to are getting it. And then when we didn't get it, I think it kind of hurt a lot of people and got discouraged a little bit with hockey. And um, it never came to fruition. That, but I I really feel one more year if we'd have stepped one more year we, we'd have we'd be in NHL and and we'd have done we'd have done some damage. You know, you play your last WHA season in Winnipeg. That year, a 17-year-old kid signs in Indianapolis. Then he gets sold to Edmonton before Indy folds. So how apparent early on was it that Wayne Gretzky would dominate hockey to a degree that we've never seen since, you know, before or since, really? Rashi, when I first saw him in Indianapolis, um, geez, I wasn't that impressed. Like, he passed well, and he, and he was small and kind of frail. Um, didn't impress me that well. I think he got one or two assists or whatever. Uh, when he went to Edmonton, he was better. But it, like two or three years later, like it's just all of a sudden, bam, like there he was. Uh, his his ability to read the play was incredible. Like he knew what I was going to do before I did it. And he would intercept a pass or whatever. He had that knack. He was just a great, he was a great playmaker and he could score goals. Didn't have a great shot, but always found a place where the goalie couldn't stop him. So, yeah, uh, at the first he wasn't impressive, but obviously in the end he was pretty impressive. You played the last WHA game in history, won the Avco Cup with Winnipeg in 1979. Was it apparent to you guys that the league was near the end then? And if so, was it a bittersweet kind of ending or feeling to that game? Yeah, that season. Yeah, we we kind of knew that uh, it was going to emerge, and there was only four teams, I think, or five, six teams left, and and it was some teams were struggling. Uh, at the time, Cincinnati and, and those teams were struggling. Um, it was bittersweet because we knew that the WHA gave a lot of people chances to make some money and to play professional hockey. And it was, uh, to me, it was the best thing that, that it could have happened to, to hockey because finally the players got paid what they're supposed to getting paid and not getting paid less and the owners making so much money on it. So finally, they got some money, and, and finally the players got it. So I, I would think every player in, in, in hockey right now should thank the WHA for loosening up the purse strings for the players to play. But it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet because we want the, the sweet thing about it. The bitter part was that we knew that NHL was coming, and there was no, not going to be any WHA. The sweet thing is we won. You're a member of the WHA Hall of Fame. How how big of an honor was that for you to be recognized with you know some of the great players that play in the WHA? If it's Gordy Howe, Bobby Hull, a lot of these other guys that also went on to play in the NHL. Raji, I'm going to tell you the truth on this one. I didn't know I was in the WHA Hall of Fame. Nobody told me, and, and all of a sudden it was. He said somebody's looking up. Said, "Hey, you're in the WHA Hall of Fame." I go, "Come on, really?" So I look it up and go, "There's my name." I go, "Holy smokes!" But nobody told me that I was in there. I I, I didn't know that I was in there, but. To be to be in that category, pretty flattering. I, I I'm totally flattered because there was some great hockey players that that uh, somewhat got overlooked by the NHL and did very well in any in, in the WHA and then went to the NHL and did very well in the NHL. So I was flattered that I had the opportunity to do that. I never thought I would be, but I was flattered to get it. You played ten seasons in the NHL with the Blackhawks, the Kings, the Penguins, and the North Stars. One fascinating nugget about Terry Ruskowski I, I discovered while doing research for this podcast. Only three players in history have captained three different NHL franchises. Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, 
and Terry Ruskowski. What is it about the captain's role in hockey that makes it so unique compared to leadership in other sports? Wow. You know, Raj, it's a good question. I actually was a captain for Houston in WHA too. But I, 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 boy, it's hard to explain. Like, I think it was maybe my attitude that I wanted to win so bad. I stuck up for my teammates all the time. Um, There's times where I said things that nobody else would say in a way that we had to get better. Uh, I remember the one time, and I'll give you, well, it was in Pittsburgh, and we were in New Jersey, and we were struggling a little bit, and we lost in overtime. And I uh, I was the first one off, and I just sat there, and I watched everybody walk in. And, like, nobody ever, nobody really had any kind of impression that they were sad or upset. They just walked in, like, ho hump, do, 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 do. So I got up, and I threw a stick, my, not my stick, my skate against a big chalkboard and uh, broke it, obviously, and I just went off. Like, I, I went off like I've never went off before. And um, and I, as soon as I finished, I just went had my shower, got dressed, and I just sat in the bus. And um, I, I saw the coach open the door, and I was ranting and raving and telling him that we didn't care, where where attitude sucks, we didn't care about winning or losing. And I, he opened the door, and then I heard me yell, and he closed it again. And uh, and then we, we we started doing better, I think. If I cannot remember, we won some games. But I just had enough. And there's times where I said it. There's time, And there's a lot of times where I, some of the guys got, you know, that weren't very physical, got uh, maybe abused or hit or, or sucker punched or whatever. And I would make it a point to go over there and try to do my best to rectify the problem. Uh, I worked hard all the time. It didn't matter if it was if I was down five to nothing or up five to nothing. I, my work ethic was always there uh, in practice and uh, and in a game. And and I remember the other time in Chicago when Dennis Savard, <laughs> what a great player he was, and we were doing all around circles around the around the net all the way back. And I was horrible at this because I couldn't skate very well. And he was a great skater, but he never was first. So he was doing that, and we we're kind of resting. I said, you know what, Savvy, you'll never be a great player. He said, why is that? I said, you should be the first one around this all the time. First guy, because you skate like a wind. You should be first one. You should be leading this route and not just sitting back there and not taking it hard. I said, you'll never be the prop, the player that you should be. And after that, he let, he let every time around, he was the first one there. And I said, that's now we're working, kid. Now we're working. But there's times where I see guys that had trouble and, and I knew they were off the game. We'd have lunch and talk about maybe they had wife problems or family problems or whatever the scenario is, or maybe they were hurt and didn't want to tell anybody. But I sit down and talk to him, and but I was never a snitch. I was I didn't go to the coach and say this guy said this and this and this. I, I would never ever do that. I never put my my teammates in that kind of situation. But I, I think the combination of those Rashi, I think made me they give me the opportunity to become captain. Did you have a favorite stop in the NHL where you played? Chicago, L.A., Pittsburgh, Minnesota? L.A., the Chicago Stadium was the best ever, ever, ever. Um, L.A. was a great place to live. I, I met so many Hollywood people. It was incredible. I'd seen them on TV. You're talking about a kid from PA. It had 10,000, 50,000 people. I'm going to a city that has like 10 million, and I'm seeing all these movie stars that I see on TV. Tony Danza was on my softball team. I don't know if you remember Tony. He was a catcher. Yeah. And he invited me to parties and all that kind of stuff. It was incredible. Um, it was just one of those things that that I couldn't fathom. I, I just it was just, I was in La La Land. Uh, so I liked the city. I 
it was okay playing the other rink was okay. Um, Minnesota, not so much. Um, I didn't play very much there and I, I was kind of the fourth line guy and with, uh, Herb Brooks, Herb Brooks, uh, he did, he didn't like me to start because I, I was pushed on him and I don't know if he wanted me or not, but I was pushed on him. And so I was fourth line guy. And I remember the time in, in Buff in Boston where I hurt my knee and I had to get surgery. So I flew back with crutches and everything else. They did arthroscopic surgery and I worked my butt off to get back in the best shape I could. So I finally tapped to play and I had to prove something. We played against Detroit and we were playing. I got into three fights that night. Uh, and one was right by the right by our, our bench. And after the fight, I kind of looked at him and gave me the nod. And because uh, I knew he thought I was done. I, I know for a fact he did. And uh, the next day I was with uh, Dino Cicerelli in the line with him and uh, Mark Habscheid, first line. I was playing left side with them the next the next day. Nice. I want to, I want to ask you about a, a few of your former teammates, just some quick uh, word association. The first guy is a lot of people might, might not remember him being an arrow, but he, he turned out to be a big part of the New York Islanders dynasty in the early 80s. Helped them win four Stanley Cups, got his number retired. John Tonelli. Love what him. What do you remember about him? Tasmanian devil. He'd go in the corner, knees, elbows, head, fist. It would go all in different directions to get the puck. He, he was just a Tasmanian devil. He was my roommate. I loved the kid. Loved the kid. I loved him. His work ethic was second to none. Second to none. I loved the kid. I, I, I just, there's nothing bad about him. He was quiet. Uh, just, they called him chief because he looked like an Indian. He's actually, he's actually Italian, but we called him, we called him chief. I think if I'm not mistaken, but just quiet, great kid and worked hard all the time, all the time. Loved him. Tasmanian devil. Second guy I wanted to ask you about was Mario Lemieux. You played with him as a 20 year old in Pittsburgh. I mean, he quite, quite the talent, but what was it about him? What did you notice about him behind the scenes that maybe not a lot of people know about him? Somebody asked me to see, to, to, uh, what do you think about Mary? And I said, if God put anybody in this earth to do one particular thing, it was Mary Lemieux to play hockey. Um, big, strong, good speed. Um, it's just, he had trouble with the English language. He was my roommate on the road. Uh, and I sat next to him on, on the, on the, on the dressing room. And he would, he would say things that, that the media would take out of content. And I would say, no, 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 that's not what he meant. He meant this. You go, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Because you still had trouble with the English language. You still, like, broken English and French. Um, but would he get mad? Oh, baby. Would he get mad? He'd go, he'd tell a defenseman. He had, the defense had the puck behind the net. He'd yell, leave that puck, leave that puck, leave that puck. And he'd just swoop in there. And all I had to do is go. If there was a rebound, I was there to get it. He was just, he was, he was incredible that way. To be honest with you, his work ethic sometimes didn't match his talent. Because he was definitely a talented, talented player. Talented player. I want to transition to your coaching career. You went right from playing to coaching the Saskatoon Blades of the Western Hockey League in 1989-90. Was that an obvious transition for you to go into coaching? Was, was that something you had to put a lot, lot of thought into? No, I wanted to do it. I, I really want, I was, I was taking different uh, drills and different philosophies from different coaches that I really respected and uh, tried to put it into one. Uh, the general manager in, in Saskatoon thought that was crazy because I changed the old up the wing, back forward, just stay on your wing, stay up and back, stay up. Well, I changed that where the guys were cutting in like the Russians dude and a lot of the, the Edmonton Oilers, how uh, successful they were. 
uh, they were cutting across and coming up with speed and doing different things. And uh, the year before that, the team went to the uh, uh, Memorial Finals, which was the top, the top, top of junior hockey in Canada. And they lost in overtime to Swift Current. And um, and I and a lot of guys got, you know, there were a lot of old guys and they went to either the NHL or they quit or they went to college or whatever. Uh, so I was stuck with a lot of young guys, but we changed the system around and we actually did pretty well that season. We won our first round. We took the team that uh, went to the Memorial Cup to seventh game. They beat us in overtime in their building. So that was good. The next year, it was just a fiasco. We, we had too many injuries. We were calling up junior B teams and players and, you can't win with junior B players when you're when you're playing in, in Division One or in junior. It's just you can't win. 1994, you returned to Houston to coach the new arrows of the IHL. How different was Houston as a city and a sports market compared to when you first got there 20 years earlier? Uh, well, they had a great, better practice facility. There's no question about that. Sugarland, it got bigger. Obviously, I, I never, never really thought about the differences in in what I played and when I when I coached, uh, I was so interested and keen and, and hardworking to try to put the team together and, and to try to do things that can to, to be successful. And the first year we were um, pretty successful, but you know what, Raji, I think back on those days, I wasn't ready. I, I was okay for, you know, junior and that, but you know, doing against the, the older guys that uh, were 25, 27, 30 years old, I wasn't ready for the type of, drills and the systems that I, I knew down the road and and it was a mistake I, I should have never taken the job I took it because I wanted to go back to Houston because I love Houston so much um, I really do love Houston a lot and I still do um, and I and I should have taken it because I, I wasn't ready for it no a few of your ex-players have become head coaches or general managers and general managers in the NHL like Brad Tree living you had him in Columbus of the right. East Coast League as a defenseman. He's a general manager of the Calgary Flames. When you see a guy like Mike Yo, who you brought to Houston as a 21-year-old in 1994, coaching in the better part, coaching the NHL for the better part of 15 years, what's the feeling in your mind when you see when you see one of your guys have success like that? Great. I feel I feel I feel great about him. I, he was a great kid. The only problem with Mike Yo is he had problems injury-wise and he didn't play as much as he should. But when he played, he was a hard-working kid that stuck took no crap from anybody. And and that's exactly what he's doing as coach. When I was coaching in in, uh, in Laredo and he was coaching Houston in the American League with Minneapolis, um, he called me up and said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm still in Laredo. He said, when you get back, I want to talk to you back to Houston. So I said, sure. So we uh, went to the rink. We talked. He said, listen, can you do me a favor? We're in the playoffs now. I got too many players. Can you, can you, like, can you skate the block aces? And I said, sure, why not? So they won the first round, they won the second round, they won the third round, and then the freaking finals. And, and, and it was just a great experience because I was in the meetings with the guys. I was in practice with them, uh, with the blockades and the guys that were hurt. Um, it was a good experience to, to see the guys go that far and have that kind of commitment. And uh, it, it was, it was kind of good. And, and Mike was the guy that really was the mainstay, the guy that was behind the success of the team. You know, you mentioned Laredo. I think that might be the most interesting chapter of your coaching history it's going to be 20 years this 20 years ago this fall that you helped launch a minor league team in laredo it's probably the most non-traditional hockey market you can think of at that time or maybe any time what stood out about that experience bringing hockey to laredo and how surprised were you to how people there took to hockey 
I remember the first time I was, I went to get a phone and uh, a portable phone and I was waiting in line. The lady in front of me goes, Oh, how you doing young man? And I said, fine. He said, what do you do around here? He says, well, I'm, I said, I want to be a new hockey coach. He goes, Oh, hockey's not going to go here. I said, really? I said, would you come out and watch and see if you'd like it or not? He goes, I'll go and watch it once in a while, but it's not going to work. I said, okay, we'll see. But they keep on telling me hockey's not going to work. And I tell the guys, okay, you like basketball? Because I know there's a lot of uh, uh, Spurs basketball uh, fans in Laredo. I said, you love soccer? Because I know a lot of people play soccer in in Laredo. And I said, you like boxing? Because I know I went to boxing. It's always full in the arena. I said, we're all that, but faster. So come on, I said, try, come on. But I, but we worked our butts off, man. I, I went to every function there was, every function there was, promoting the game and telling them to come on out, come on out. And we, we pumped that thing so much so that when we came out, they really liked it because it was fights and it was hard hitting and we won the game and people liked it. And we kept on winning, we kept on winning, thank God. And uh, people got hooked on it and they had a really good time. But the thing about it is we made a family affair in Laredo, it was, they love the fam, the family going and doing different things together. And we try to make that as best possible for them, price-wise and entertainment-wise. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, non-hockey traditionist for sure. Beautiful rink. We had a beautiful arena. Really nice. And it, uh, it's unfortunate that there's no hockey there now. You know, when we live in major league markets like Houston or up in Dallas where you are, we can take these teams for granted. You know, they're going to be here years down the line or whatever. How important are minor league teams like that one in Laredo to the identity of cities that size? Again, thank God that we won a couple championships. And Laredo never won a championship, ever. They had a boxer that was a world champion back way back when. Uh, but they never had a team sport that actually won a championship. And I remember um, Betty Flores, We after the first one, all the players were at the rink and the fans were on the one side and they're all cheering. And uh, she said... Laredo Bucks were the champions of the world. And they go, we're only champs of the Central Hockey League. Somebody yelled, yelled out. And she goes, that is our world. It's a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. For, for them, that's that was their world. And uh, we represented Laredo uh, in, a, in, a, in a good way, I was hoping, and, and continued the success. And um, and people come and join themselves. And it was it was nice. It was, it was a nice feeling. But I enjoyed myself there. The people there treated me so good, Raji. Like really good, and I was really fortunate to have a good team and to have people that were behind me that supported me. And yeah, I feel pretty blessed. I enjoyed myself in Laredo, except for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been great. Well, a lot of times with those teams, after kind of that novelty curve wears off, it's it's kind of hard to you know keep people coming back to the rink. But the fact that you were able to have hockey in Laredo for ten years, it's an accomplishment because not a lot of not a lot of those teams survive that long in a market, especially a non traditional market. You're right. You're absolutely right. And the thing about it is that I, I, we have in a front office and maybe myself have to blame. We sat back and, 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 and lived on our morals of having a full house and have, being popular and all that. We didn't go. We sat out. It, we didn't be aggressive and still continue to to do things in the community, to go t- to different events, to go to do this and to, to be aggressive in sales and to do that, to keep it going. And I think we sat back too much. And the other thing that really bothered the fans, and it kind of went downhill a little bit when the owners started uh, uh, paying to park. It was always free. And then they start charging for parking, and people didn't like it. People yeah. didn't like it. 
So little things like that can go a long way. They thought that we were too greedy in what we're doing because we're always doing well in the stands. They're getting too greedy for getting up. In which every every building has it, you know, parking. You you pay for it, but when you don't have it, and all of a sudden you put it in, they thought bad about it. Very true. Last question for you before we wrap things up. Next year will be ten years since the Arrows left Houston. How surprising is it to you that a city like Houston, this size, has been without pro hockey for that long? Yeah, they had the American League there for a while. They did very well, um, but the NHL, um, I'm I'm really surprised. I because I know I know Raji. I know for a fact if there was an NHL team in there, they'd do so well, so well. It's it'd be and I just there's times where I just shake my head and go, "What the Dickens is going on?" Uh, great city and it's oil. There's a lot of northern people. They're down here and. They're familiar with hockey, but still, the people in in Houston, they they like the they like the hockey, they like the, the the aggressive play, they like the speed, they like the the finesse and the skill of the game. And I know for a fact, I know if they ever got a franchise there in Houston, and I wish I had the money to do it, I would put a franchise in Houston in a New York second and make money. I lied. I got one more question for you. Sure. When you when you play the NHL. You're widely acknowledged as having one of the greatest mustaches in hockey. Where did where did it go, man? Raji, I I did I I had it. It started getting gray, um, but I my wife says shave. I was getting older. My wife says shave it off. I go really, and she goes, yeah. I said this is my trademark. This is my mustache trademark. My this is it. She says no, try it. You can grow it back if you don't like it. So I shaved it, and I go, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I like this or not. And everybody goes, oh, you look a lot younger. And I go, maybe that overlooks the, <laughs> my trademark. I look younger. Now I look old, old. It doesn't matter if I have one or not. I just look old. Very good. Uh, Tara Scousey, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun to talk to you, some great stories and uh, from your time with the Arrows. And wish you all the best, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Raji, at any time you want to call, I'll talk with you. It's great talking with you. You look great. And uh, good luck on your iPod. Thank you, Terry. Thanks for listening to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. For more podcasts in the Houston sports coverage, please go to HoustonChronicle.com slash sports.